Welcome to the Generous Business Owner Podcast, where business owners gain inspiration and encouragement to live a legacy, not just leave one. And now your hosts, Jeff Thomas, Alan Barnhart, and Jeff Rutt. Welcome, everybody. This is Jeff Thomas. Uh, Welcome to the Generous Business Owner Podcast. I've got my co-host, Jeff Rutt, with us today. Jeff, say hello. Hey, everybody. Jeff. (laughs) And uh, we've got a special guest today, uh, Mike Shero. Mike Shero serves as president and CEO of uh, C12 Business Forums, the global leader in CEO and owner peer advisory groups for Christians serving more than 3,300 members across the U.S., Southeast Asia, and Brazil. Mike leads uh, the headquarter uh, team in San Antonio. Uh, That team supports more than 150 full-time C12 chairs. We serve as missionpreneurs, helping CEOs, entrepreneurs, and key players build great businesses for a greater purpose to advance the gospel in the marketplace. I am a beneficiary of C12 as a, as a member here in Houston, and uh, it's just a real pleasure, uh, Mike, to, to have you on. Welcome. Thank you, guys. I'm uh, huge fans of, of both Jeffs, so this is fun. Well, welcome. Yeah, well, welcome, Mike, and huge fan of C12 as well, and love to hear a little bit more about Kind of your family, your family grown. Where'd you grow up? Tell us a little bit about your what was life like growing up for you. Sure. So I am a trophy of God's grace, and we could spend all day telling cool stories of how nothing about what I'm doing today makes sense apart from Jesus. So <laughs> it's a it's a great example of uh, God can do anything with anybody He wants. I grew up in Alaska. There's like 12 of us, so that's a, that's a unique distinction. And I grew up in a family with, uh, you know, good things and bad things. So family that had us going to church on a regular basis. So I, I got to know Jesus at an early age, but also um, a lot of medical challenges, uh, a lot of family drama, so divorces and some uh, crises in there. And a life where I was shaped by um, spiritual fathers from a young age, just folks who invested. I think we Wow. Never will realize until the beam and see of Christ what God does when you choose to invest in someone else, even if it's just for a season. And I'm I'm who I am today because of a lot of those folks, um, and a lot of God adventure stories. So I was uh, crippled with autoimmune disorders from a young age. I navigated parent with brain injury and a bunch of different pieces. Informative things come from a young age that either would wreck you or magnify God's goodness and sufficiency. And I, by God's grace, someone who gets to say, I saw what God does with lack, what God does with prices, what God does with wild journeys. Wow. Yeah, I think our, our listeners could relate to that, every one mm-hmm. of us. Tell us a little bit about, did, what were your uh, entrepreneurial instincts like growing up? So I wasn't, I didn't grow up in a family of entrepreneurs, and so didn't see, didn't probably couldn't have spelled the word entrepreneur for most of my life, but from a young age, saw problems and we wanted to figure out how to solve them. So I was uh, a weird, nerdy kid on lots of levels, but one example is even being, um, I got involved in what I'd now call gospel city movements and collective impact strategies as a teen, didn't know those words either then, because I was just curious why the church, why churches in a city couldn't collaborate on solving issues like homelessness or youth outreach, or when my uh, mother had a brain injury, I was trying to figure out how do you get doctors and healthcare groups all working together on the issues of brain injury and, and its impact on families. So I just started coordinating gospel city networks and getting involved wow. in um initiatives like that as a as a teenager as so a I'm, teenager wow yeah. wow that's awesome tell us about your your college years college years so i went to a christian college in the chicagoland area 
And that's where I first found uh, a love for business. So I was a poor, poor kid, first person in my family to go to college. I was working full-time, three jobs, trying to go through school and, and keep my debt load down. And my first semester, I bumped into this 79-year-old man in a suit walking around campus looking lost. And he was trying to find the computer lab. And I said, why are you trying to find a computer lab? And he said, because I'm trying to find a kid who knows the computer to help me. I said, well, what do you need? And he's like, well, I'm starting a business and I need some computer help. And I said, with all due respect, you don't seem like the starting a business kind of guy. He's like, yeah, I've, I've ran big corporations, but uh, man, retirement will kill you. And all my friends retired and traveled the world and they started dying. So I wanted to start a business again. So by the end of that wow. meeting, I ended up helping him start a financial services business, doing uh, pension plans and annuities and retirement wow. planning. Um, so that kind of got me down the world of that. And it was part of a startup while I was in college for the Walgreen company that was focused on B2B work. Wow. And, um, and that's actually where I found myself actually really wrestling with my identity because I was all about Jesus and mission and kingdom stuff. But I really like business and teams and building stuff. And so I was really wrestling with, you know, does my vocation define my identity or does my identity transform my vocation? Yeah. And I was, that was really both an adventure time and kind of a shearing of like, who am I? Yeah. Wow. Wow. So that seems like a path towards C12, but tell us how you got to C12 then from there. Yeah, I did not know. I didn't know anything about the world of faith and work. So I felt like I was you know, falling down a rabbit hole of questions and just wrestling with God. So for years, I was just trying to figure out how to connect faith and work. I began seeing business as a platform for expressing the gospel and had some cool mentors, but didn't, I, I didn't even know what I didn't know. I didn't have language or tools. So I didn't know groups like C12 or NCF or generosity communities existed. I was just finding other people like me and were kind of huddling around the campfire of, yeah, yeah, let's work on this better. In fact, I almost left business to go to seminary and some friends said, no, no, no. I feel like God's like, what if he's like equipping you to be like, what if we were pastors in corporate America? And I was like, what the heck does that mean? <laughs> so fast forward, I was in Chicago for a while, moved to Texas in the early 2000s to be near some family. And my wife and I wanted to start our family near family. And actually left business, worked at a church for a while, started a business. And a buddy was inviting me to a forum. And he said, hey, you love Jesus. You love business. You should check this out. I'd been living the Bible Belt for a couple of years, enough to where I actually didn't really trust Christian business things. But yeah, I was true. I love Jesus and love business. I was always trying to figure out how to bring those two together. So he, he dragged me into a group back in 2010, and that was how I got connected. I love it. I mean, Mike, when I, when I hear your story and I look at your background, you know, you, you went to, uh, you know, you worked for Walgreens for a couple of businesses, but then you worked for the church, right? Yep. Uh, and so I think, you know, when I think about you, I think about a guy that's really at that intersection of ministry and business. And I know uh, in my own story that I struggled with that, uh, that, you know, am, I guess if I'm in business, am I really in ministry or am I just being a good person and supporting the people? So can you talk about that? How, how do you view that? I think you have a very unique background, business and actually working for the church. How do you see that intersection for yourself? Yes, oh, man, that that has been uh, it's become kind of the, the rails of my life is wrestling with those things. And it's been this adventure of realizing that I believe that we are all equally called by God to be fully committed to being a disciple of Jesus 
and being an ambassador of his kingdom. And the logo on my shirt, the industry I work in, the way I get my paycheck, all those things are just kind of window dressing on that core identity piece. The tricky part is I think we're so accustomed to compartmentalizing things. It actually is what creates dysfunction and discipleship and suspended animation of destiny. So I found that when I tried to bring those things together in business, I found out a couple of things. I was not as good as Christian as I think I am because it's actually not too hard to be a Christian on Sundays and Wednesdays. It's really hard to be a Christian on Thursday when you're firing people, being sued, dealing with an audit or trying to scale an IT project. Like you feel much less Jesus-like in those situations. And we start realizing like, you're actually, I would, I'd now say like, you're only as spiritual as you are Thursday at three o'clock in a, you know, a bad client meeting or lawyer, you know, (laughs) review of a lawsuit situation. Like that's your actual baseline of spirituality. Everything else is kind of aspirational. And then like when I left business to go to work my church, I actually went through a grieving process because I realized, man, I lost all this access to all these industry people who were never expecting to encounter Jesus in the middle of the daily meeting, but were absolutely on a quest for purpose and meaning and truth. And we're so open to authentic relationships around those issues. And then I got surrounded by church people and was like, man, I want the business people back. And I really began to realize that, okay, vocation becomes like a dojo gymnasium of living out your faith. And the church is an equipping center. It's at the end of the day, it's meant to be a training center. And when I, what I found joy in the church was helping equip people to say, this is the locker room. The field is out there. So whether you're a teacher, banker, business guy, gal, whatever it is, like go do that well. And I think if the church deployed was actually active and realized that like they are the church there, there's a, a real estate investor in Washington state who used the analogy that I thought was great. He said, how would a ministry at a church change if a pastor didn't view business owners as high net worth donors? but actually viewed them as multi-site campus pastors running frontier missions that just happened to be construction companies and hospital companies and IT companies. What would the accountability look like? What would the equipping look like? And how would you view success in them? And so I've just come to love the uniqueness of whatever space God's got you in, be who you're called to be. And I think it's not even just about being a utility for the kingdom. I think it's actually key to our discipleship. Because you, when I try to be Jesus in a government job, I've done that. When I try to do, when I try to be Jesus in a financial sector, it forces me to press into Jesus more. And, and my uh, that identity quest actually grows me, not just helps proclaim the gospel to others. So that's a lot of through at you, but no, it's kind I, of well, you're really hitting like a, a powerful point for me. I think that's yeah. genius is that intersection. I think that's why God has put you really right in the middle of that to speak to other people because you kind of have this pastoral heart and this business thing combined. And I think you get to use both. I, I just think it's like the perfect role for you. And I'm just thinking of other people who are, you know, in their car listening to this. Yeah. And, and I mean, you, you know, some of our staff that have, and I'm sure Jeff has, um, that used yeah. to be working at churches who now work here uh, in, in business, quote unquote, but we, we think, uh, they, they feel like they're doing more ministry than they ever did working at the church. And that's not a knock on the church. There, there, there is a place for, obviously that is a redemptive center, but I, I just love where God's got you in that. And I know that you're a deep thinker of these things. And so there's another word, a churchy word that we sort of throw out there, uh, that I'd love to hear your thoughts on, which is the word stewardship. Now, I think 
when most people hear that inside a church, we know what they think. Pass the plate. Yep. Okay, but but clearly there's a broader meaning. How do you think about that word? Yeah, so I, I, I've come to want to like add qualifiers, like integrated stewardship or whole life stewardship. So in our family, my kids, we have a core value around intentionality, intentionally stewarding you know, re- relationships and resources and opportunities. And I think at the end of the day, if I realize like I'm a son of God and I'm a man and everything I have is his, I've got, it's never a question. What do I give? It's what do I keep all those kind of things that I know you and Alan and others in this community have come to recognize, but that's such a paradigm shift that in realizing I will be accountable for God. So the Bible says that we will all one day give an account for our life. And it's not like an entrance exam, praise God, but it is a performance review and it's an open book test. And it's meant to be one of celebration, not of, you know, punitive but the i think the tragedy is so many people live lives of of the old is a perversion of bob buford's book halftime where he talked about pivoting from success to significance as though there's an era of your life where you just survive and make money and then there's a time in your life where you make up for that and that's just such a not it's not his prescription and it's not a biblical idea so stewardship i believe is stewarding and every day you've got everything you've got, every opportunity you've got saying, okay, how do I do those realizing at the end of the day, success is what does God say and how does it make him known and how does it demonstrate the rule and reign of Christ? And so stewardship then becomes not just like, what do I give? But how do I spend what I keep? It's how do I use that relationship I have on that board? How do I use my industry influence? How do I use my relational influence, my family, all those things. And so there's multiple types of capital, as you know, and the return on those is the point. I think I was in a C12 meeting myself about eight years ago and someone was pre- was saying, man, I really need God to you know, bless my business. I need some additional capital. I need some other pieces here. And a peer asked such a piercing question. He said, well, what about the way you've stewarded the business God lets you run for him last year would make him want to invest in you this year? And he went, what? He's like, well, I'm just being like, it's God's company. And there's like a, a finance committee that's reviewing, like, do we renew your contract as CEO? And do we inject more capital into it? What about your stewardship of those resources last year would make him think, yeah, let's renew your contract and double down. And he's like, well, I mean, I, I tithe. And he's like, do you really think God's up there? Like, woo, I got 10% of the liquidity from this. Like, I, I have a feeling like his review committee is going to be a little bit interested in a little bit more deeper returns than just a 10% tip off of proceeds. And I think that mindset just begins to change the way you look at everything. That whole life stewardship. I, I think you're absolutely right. And, and, and I hadn't even thought about the stewardship of what you keep. I like, yeah. I like that language. You know, another word that, that we use, even in the name of this podcast, you know, the generous business owner and uh, nobody wants to call themselves generous. So we call them generous. Okay. Uh, but when you think of generosity and you and you see all these businesses, I think you have such a cool perch to look over all these businesses trying to do things uh, really in a generous way, in a God-honoring way. When you hear that word generosity, does it also spawn other definitions? When you, What do you think generosity means? And, and, and what models might you see out there that you think are interesting or unique? Yeah, so we have to, if you, if you grew up around the church, we have to break free of of really kind of shallow definitions of stewardship and generosity. Mm-hmm. So if stewardship is code for give me money and if generosity is code for tithe or, or giving something above that, I think those are both 
those still feel like Old Testament covenant, old covenant kind of ideas of like, what's good enough for me to get a green, you know, an A plus on my paper. I need a passing grade. Yeah. A, if if I could get an A. And I, I was just, I was doing some reading this last week. If you go back to some old school stuff, St. Augustine, one of the early church fathers, who was just a brainiac, one of the things he wrote on that C.S. Lewis and others have all drawn upon, but I think there's relevance in business and generosity, is that the key dysfunction in the Christian life is, is misordered loves and, and getting the right loves first. So it's not about the don'ts. It's more about the, well, what's, what's your driving passion? Kind of similar to Jesus saying you could sum up the whole law and love God and love people. And so I think generosity is when you actually begin to ride the joy of like, what's, how can I most extravagantly love God and love people? And what's the most I can do versus what must I do? Um, I was in a meeting a couple of years ago. There was a, a, a business deal that went south. There was embezzlement. There was some bad things. And um, uh, a, a customer was accusing one of the people stepped in to kind of clean up the mess. Hey, you, you, know, you should, you should, you should, you should. And this Christian, the C12 guy went, hey, technically, I don't should anything. Like, like contractually, we have every right to walk away and let, this, let the chips fall where they fall. He said, now love will compel me to do a lot more than should ever would. And he said, so stop asking me to respond out of shoulds and start asking me, like, what would love call me to do? And I think that generosity then isn't become a, a matter of your net worth. Like one of the most impactful things for my stewardship journey financially was there's an era where my family was going through a lot of financial crisis, a lot of unemployment and uh, dependency on Medicaid, food stamps, church benevolence, friends. And I had some friends who I thought were wealthy because they had a home that was peaceful. They helped my family out and they had the attributes of what I thought were wealth. And I found out they didn't actually make very much money. Actually, it was tax season and at a dinner table, awkwardly, my friend asked his dad, hey, dad, how much do you make this year? And he actually told him, I was like, what? Your, your dad oh, wow. actually talks about money? Yeah. And then he told me it wasn't very much. And I went, well, how, what else? Do you guys have like inheritances? Do you have other things? Like, there has to be something else. Is that all you make? And he's like, yeah, I'm like, well, with all due respect, Mr. Wayne, um, how do you guys live like this? And he said, well, we, we budget, we save, and we're diligent stewards so that we get the joy of getting to do these generosity pieces. And so his generosity wasn't millions of dollars, but it was it was generosity rooted in a, a passion and a wisdom. And I remember going at age 12, I want to learn that. I want to figure out how to have that kind of life. Whether you have little or have much, you can be generous. I love that. I think those stories uh, of growing up and having models that we follow mm-hmm. are so critical. I mean, that's, that's a lot of what we're trying to do here uh, for people walking down the street, uh, walking their dog, listening to this. You know, they're thinking back to what are those models? And, and we're trying to give them new ones. So, you now know, the danger part is like we try to teach our kids that a little bit. And uh, it's like my wife and I tricked our kids. This is probably deceptive. We told them tithing was giving 25%. So when they started getting the allowance. We told them the rule is you, you save 25%, you give 25%, you get to, you get to keep and spend 50%. So they, they're, they still believe tithing starts at 25%. So someday they'll realize it's not technically correct, but we figure that's better than not. Well, but, and, and then they're going to get their first job and find out who FICA is. Yeah. So we just help, we just prepared them. They're used to not seeing the money. But when you get them involved in mission activities and giving and you get them involved in those pieces, the danger is when they start going, well, why would we, why would we give more? Mom did like, why would we not have 
more kids are well, we not like then they start asking you why not give more and you're like hey we're, we're being generous yeah. like, we can afford to give more and you're like well simmer down now um, exactly. so all right so part. so now we've talked about some of this before but i'd love uh you know one of the things we're trying to do is inspire people's stories and uh, you get to see so many stories is there one or two that kind of comes to your mind when you think about a generous business owner i mean gosh uh heck just in houston in our c12 group i know a couple but yeah you can't have a national view is there just one or two uh stories or techniques or you know something that that could sort of inspire folks yeah so if i can go back to integrated stewardship one of the things we look at is and you're familiar with this in c12 we take the old balance scorecard model of the business and we add a fifth dimension so we would say stewardship goes looking at operations finance i do organizational development i do operations and then culture in the middle of all that and we had a fifth one administering the top and we said okay how does the how's the gospel be manifest in all those areas both in excellence and goodness but also in ministry and all those become actually frontiers of, of generosity so so many businesses just go well okay it's dollars and cents i got x dollars and you know like guys like simon lee okay we're getting 50 percent of our profits away or folks are giving 100% profits away or tithing. Uh, we got a law firm in Raleigh that said, we're gonna, God, we're gonna give 10% of our gross revenue. Okay, run with that. But then you got businesses going, well, okay, we may be a, a thin margin. Like I was just talking to CEO this morning, the business, $80 million, but they only have a 2.5% EBITDA. And he's like, well, there's a fixed amount of margin to work with there. But generosity can look at how you're engaging your suppliers, how you're engaging your employees how you're leaning into your uh, your vendors, how you're taking care of single moms in the community. So there's some pretty radical models. I just was out, I think one of the most strategically generous businesses I've seen today would actually be Movement Mortgage out in North Carolina and around the country. I think the work that Casey and Steven and Mike and the team there are doing, and they're literally asking, okay, how do we how do we bless people? Yeah, they're giving away money. And yes, they've um, they've done some radical things around the stock and equity of their business. That's enabled them to even be more generous as they think about how they bless churches and families and how they compensate employees and biblical justice and wages. And, and they're, they're literally looking for brokenness and saying, how do I respond to that? And so I think their model is brilliant. And then your co-host, Alan Barnhart, doesn't like to talk about their stuff a whole lot, but people often know the Alan story of um, you know financial finish line, giving the rest away. But one of the things that impacted me was, is beyond that, I remember going to, and him actually going, there's only so much cash you can give away. What else do you give away? What else, how else do we give? And him literally looking at his PL and realizing everything on the PL is a question going, how does that express generosity down to their real estate and the office building they're in, the rent they're paying, the fleets they're leasing? Like he began to look at all those asset classes and those cost centers as actually fulcrums and leverage points for giving and for impact and i mean then you these are really ringing some generosity impact potential out of a business when you look at how you think about where you rent from lease from buy from you know with guys like simon lee okay i'm buying ink and toner and office supplies what if i could buy from an organization that's actually doing triple bottom line impact themselves well then an existing PL line item actually becomes sourced in a way that contributes towards good and human flourishing and so that's not like that's me just reallocating how I'm spending existing dollars to get more impact out of those dollars. And I think when you look at all those levels, you can begin to, you know, 10x what you think is possible 
for impact in business. One thing that came to my, I love that. One, one thing that came to my mind while you were saying that is the effect it has on your employees as well. You know, yes. we're in such a tight labor market now, right? And there's such a war for talent. And, it, and it's just interesting to me. It's not a prosperity gospel thing, but it's interesting to me that living in a capitalistic society, a free society where servant leadership can lead to good business outcomes. How do you think about those things connecting? So we could obviously do a whole uh, podcast around the brokenness and what's wrong in society and culture and the things that are, you know, sin. But I'm a big fan of a book right now called Unoffendable, where the author says we should never be surprised by sin. But the other good news is in every era of history, I believe there's apologetic breadcrumbs where God has literally put hidden eternity in the hearts of people, and they are actually yearning for the gospel. They just don't know it. So if you think about right now, the workforce being unchurched and ungodly and all whatever else we want to say is looking for love and purpose and meaning and dignity and justice and hope and peace. The things that we got, man, we got the monopoly on, we got the upper upper hand on when it comes to the kingdom. And so when you actually begin to embed that in your business and make it not just an ownership thing or a leadership thing, I think a lot of executives are prone to keep in this biblical premise for not wanting to magnify and get glory for your giving. But when you invite people into the process, um, you're actually tapping into something God's wired them for. And, and people will, uh, at the end of the day, like everyone needs to have their basic needs met, but there's that tipping point where, okay, if I'm choosing between this job and this job, it's more than just money. It's what we'll do for me. And what we'll do for me as well, so not just personal benefit, but what I get to be part of. And interestingly enough, the market, I think just like you look at investments in the market forces actually reward diligent business, right? And, and there's long-term re returns when you put good biblical principles in your business, ironically. And the talent market rewards owners that are actually going to create systems of, of shalom. If we think about the Old Testament kings, like kings that were righteous, man, it benefited the immigrants and the, uh, the, the widows and the vulnerable and the foreigners wanted to do business here. Even you know, kings were wanted to do business with Abraham. Why? Because man, like you prosper and it's kind of good to do business with you. Um, I think the same is true today. And I think it's one of our golden opportunities is when we embed biblical stewardship and generosity into how we do business, it's not going to attract everybody but a lot of people are actually looking to be part of that kind of story. And then they're going to want to know why. And our greatest generosity gets to be, I was talking to um, actually one of the guys at Move Mortgage, one of their young leaders come out of college, work there and, I, and they're very missional. And I said, so do you love working in a business where you get to, you know, do good things to share Jesus? And she said, you know, we don't love people so we can tell them about Jesus. We share Jesus because we love people. And it's, it's the, it's the why we do it. And it's not a bait and switch. We tell people, I'm going to model and show you the reason that Jesus calls me generous because that's, that's a, he's actually the reason why I love you. I'm not loving you so I can tell you about Jesus. And I think that's, that's the opportunity we have in this historic moment. Love that. And I just think when you talk about that DNA that God gave us to act in a certain way that, that builds on itself and, and can lead to a better business. And I'm just, I'm just looking at your, uh, you know, vision statement as a business to, to, to see 12 great businesses for a greater purpose. It's not one or the other, right? You have a great business and a great purpose. You know, I think sometimes people think there's a trade there. So there's bad models of generosity. Yes, for good models. A buddy of mine who NC12 early on actually almost crashed and burned because he had a dichotomy where he thought business was just a means to an end. And so keep the business going so I can give, 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 give. 
the point where one of his ops leaders was like, hey, boss, um, like the trucks are in disrepair. We're kind of low on wages. Like people love the fact you're given to young life and wells in Africa, but like we got people hurting here. Yeah. And there does need to be like an integration. That's why I say it's integrated because God's not honored by a poorly run company. And if you are giving generously, quote unquote, but neglecting the poor and broken in your team or your community, and if you're disturbing customers, like the how you do business matters as much as what you do with the proceeds. That's where that's where it's such a, a humbling thing. I mean, you and I talked about this, like it the honestly, the giving of money is the easy and that's the joy, that's the fun part. The hard part is actually connecting the dots to how you make the money and and choosing what those pieces all look like. Yeah. So Mike, I I love like Jeff, uh the stories. Uh do you have an example? You have, have such a, a great bandwidth of uh view of so many different businesses. Do you have an example of a business that either gave their stock away or made a, a significant transfer similar to what Casey Crawford did with 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 movement, but but maybe another example of where I know for us there was a, a big bump in clarity. Mm-hmm. And it, it just added so much. But like, talk about an example, if you can think of one or a, a story yeah. or two of uh, folks that made that transition. Back to where you almost feel guilty. This isn't a prosperity gospel. This isn't a name it, claim it, or guarantee. But, but God has wired the world. You know, John Piper would call it Christian hedonism. Like we find our greatest joy when we're most satisfied in him kind of thing. There is this unspoken of advantage. Like Alan would say, he feels like he's got more freedom than everyone else because he's just already decided it. He doesn't make it a day by day. What should I give or keep? Like, it's just done. Mm-hmm. I got a guy running a tech company and they took on private equity. They're looking to go in public and he's wrestling through financial finish line and what's enough going to be. And, and he, and his wife went ahead and said, you know, let's really get our family together and do some legacy planning. Let's think about what our family's going to be about long-term kingdom priorities and that led them to actually make bigger decisions than they were thinking and, and really go ahead and say, what if we just say like, this is it. And God, if you want to grow more than that, like the raise of income doesn't need to raise our standard of living. It can just increase giving. And so they, they put those things and kind of locked them in, allocate, allocated about 80% of their stock away into those vehicles and just said, God, that's all yours. And he said, you know, what was interesting is he, he's never been less stressed as a leader because now his total focus is how do I bless my team? help them prosper and how do we grow this thing for kingdom impact and when it goes up it blesses the kingdom it doesn't change the car he's buying or the house he's doing and what's been awkward for him is the business has grown 10 times what he thought it would <laughs> and and he said you know what when you when you're just free in that his coolness and kind of mental clarity like you said to just focus on okay how to help my pe- my team do well how to love people. And I'm no longer worried about like what's in it for me. It's actually given him a huge advantage mm-hmm. in leading that business. In fact, I, I think it's just people are oftentimes asking, like, how do you have you navigated some some whitewater moments in that business yeah. story? And he doesn't tell people this. He'll talk, you know, his faith and clarity. But I think a lot of it is before the success came, he already locked those things in. Yeah. And then realized it's all God's anyway. And right. so if it goes down, it's like, it's like God's taking out a loan or a line of credit and going, gosh, I need your stock to appreciate more, to do my deal. Uh, we just get to yeah. participate in our father's economy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that, that IT Beautiful. company, it changed the way he led. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
that's a that's a beautiful example that that clarity and that freedom uh, to just it's he already set his financial finish line and God's God's blessing it and he's he's there's so much joy in that compare that to him growing it and then at age you know 110 him you know giving it all away he he, he would have missed out on all that joy along the way there's a lot of miserable wealthy people out there there's a lot of a lot of super uber ultra net high net worth people who are actually miserable and fearful and distrustful and mm-hmm. hollow mm-hmm. and i think the um, they're missing out on the adventure ironically what you try to keep you lose anyway and once you once you give it away you actually can have it jim so, elliott he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep mm-hmm. gain what he cannot lose right mm-hmm. it's uh I had a, I found myself doing a, a Torah study with a rabbi once in Chicago in the workplace, ironically. I got in a little trouble. There was a Bible study at work and HR was afraid of creating religious hostility. And I said, like, well, have you let the Jews have a Torah study? The Muslims have a Quran study and it's okay. And I said, well, but can I join the Torah study? And they're like, no Gentiles. And I went, well, that's discriminatory. And so they're like, oh, I guess we have to let the Gentiles in. So I went to this Torah study and we looked, learned a ton. But one of the things I thought was so it's such a big deal. We all, we all know the Abraham Isaac story of God asking Abraham to put Isaac on the altar. And I think the Hebrew word for that act was called a skesis, this idea of kind of surrendering something. And the uh, rabbinical teaching they unpacked so much more than I ever got, grew up in a Gentile church, was only when you've truly surrendered something can you receive something as a gift. Hmm. And so that in many ways, until Abraham had been willing to give up Isaac, could he actually really then receive Isaac as a gift? Like it'd been a miracle, but it'd probably been easier to still say, he's still my son. But only when he had given up to be God's and then God let him have it back, could he then realize like, I could have not had this. This is not mine. And yeah. I think when we give up anything, once we're able to actually realize I own nothing, then we can actually hold it as the gift it is versus feeling like, okay, how much do I got to pay you to be satisfied? Right, right. Wow. That's some powerful stuff. Jeff, I'm going to let you take over here, but I have one, I have a less spiritual quote to give. This is from the movie. It's a wonderful life. Uh, it's a Peter Bailey quote. Uh, he had a, had on his wall. If you, if you watch the movie, it's mm-hmm. uh, George is looking at the quote that says, all you can take with you is that which you've given away. Mm-hmm. Well, I think that's a good place to start wrapping it up with just a final question, Mike, that we try to ask everybody. You know, we try to get real practical, right? For business owners who want to be generous or are being generous, but we're just trying to have some practical tips for them. And so what might you leave uh, folks that are, you know, just driving down the road, listening to this going, all right, I think you've given us all kinds of nuggets, actually, but maybe what's one practical tip that you might leave us with? Something you may have already said, maybe something new that comes to to mind, but something that these uh, folks can Maybe employ tomorrow, just doing a little something new uh, or a little something different. Is, is there one thing that you might uh, just leave them with? Can I give two things? Sure. Okay. So a personal audit question. So when my wife and I realized we were not as generous as we thought we were, when someone at my church came up, there was a single mom crisis and asked if we'd be willing to contribute some money. And we said, well, how much are you looking for? And it's a few hundred bucks or something. And we're like, gosh, I don't know. That That seems a bit much for what's the story again and what do they really need? And so we, we, you know, here's 50 bucks, here's a hundred bucks. 
And then not an hour later, someone from a small group said, Hey, got this great deal on concert tickets. We can get this cabin. We can go away for the weekend. They're like a thousand bucks a piece. We can all go great deal. And they're like, that sounds like a no brainer. And I was like, oh, whoa. Right. we didn't have to stop and pray about and wring our hands right. on right. the concert getaway. And so we went back to our family budget. We actually put percentages and said, what percentage are we okay whimsically spending on pleasure yeah. versus helping people? And we had a higher threshold for whimsically spending on pleasure than we did on helping people. And that, that led to a spiritual question of like, okay, what's, what's that? We like to think we're generous, but are we? So I just like, go and look at actually what you spend and begin to ask the question of God, like, are you honored by how I, what I spend on, not just what I give, but then in business at the end of the day, if you're listening, you may have tons of natural you know, resources, liquidity wise, or you may have very constrained liquidity. But I think like the story of the loaves and fishes, Jesus takes whatever you got and he multiplies it when it's offered to him. And so if you go back and even with your team say, what do we have? So we got, we got margin. Sure. We got cash, but what else do we have? We got trucks and fleets and warehouses and people and connections and ask the question, how do I leverage all that I have loaves and fishes and money and look around and say, God, what, what breaks your heart that you'd have me use these things for? And I think if we begin asking that question, like, Hey, all I got is this, what would you do with this? Jesus loves to say, let me show you what I can do with that. And I don't think any of the amazing generosity stories we talked about today began with great, brilliant plans. They started with simple questions and acts of, okay, we'll use this and ended up in a bigger story. So I'd say start with whatever you got, let God take loaves and fishes and multiply it. So interesting uh, because that first of all thank you for sharing both of those those are both gems but you know the last one of just get started it, it, you said it in a little different way but it's basically the same principle as our guest last week brent but uh be sure share just start mm-hmm. and uh and i think that's just such a great word you know sometimes well when this happens maybe yeah. I, well when oh but i and, and brent was like you know hey maybe i need to give him a raise okay okay just do it just yeah what's in your hand What's, in your, What's in your hands? Well said, Jeff. But well, listen, let's wrap it there. Uh, Mike, can't thank you enough for joining us on this. Uh, always love hearing your wisdom and stories. And uh, uh, we, we pray uh, blessings on you uh, and your organization. And uh, we'll put links to C12. I encourage everybody to check it out and, and go kick the tires of a local group. Uh, thanks, We need Mike. to interview, Mike, we need to interview all those folks that you talked about on this podcast. We got, we, we got to line up for the next three months. I can, I can give you like hundreds of candidates. <laughs> you keep us busy, Jeff. Don't worry. And, yeah. And you've been so generous with your time, your ideas. That's you're a wealth of generosity. Thank you very much, Mike. Thanks, Jeff. All right. Thanks everybody for being with us. Jeff, Rutt, thank you also for being with us today. And Thanks, uh, we'll see you on the next episode of the Generous Business Owner Podcast. Thanks for listening to the Generous Business Owner Podcast with Jeff Thomas, Alan Barnhart, and Jeff Rutt. Make sure to follow the podcast so you don't miss an episode. You can find the guest contact information in the show notes. Stay tuned for the next episode.